5 and verse number 14. <clears throat> Paul makes this statement in verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Boy, that's a wonderful statement. I wish that was the message this morning. We could preach on that all day. Uh, how the love of Christ constraineth us. And I think oftentimes we have the wrong thing constraining us when it comes to our service for the Lord. Uh, maybe peer pressure constrains us. Maybe uh, our concern about what others will think of us constrains us to serve the Lord the way that we do. Can I tell you this? There is no greater joy in serving than when you let the love of God constrain you and allow you to serve because you love Him. Uh, there, is, there, is no, there is no effort that is too great when it comes to having a love for somebody and uh, the things that you do for them. Uh, I do things. I, I got a book from my daughter for Christmas. And uh, she said, uh, the title of it is, I wrote a book about you, Dad. And inside there, there's about 60 different things that she wrote, of things that she loved about uh, me being her dad. And I sat there and I read those things. I thought, well, what, a, what an amazing uh, thing to hear how that made an impact for her. And I thought, you know, all these things that she mentioned that, that cost me my time and my money and my effort and sometimes my tears, they were nothing. I would do it all over again. I would do it again in, in an abundance of what I did even before because I love her. I tell you this, the burden that we carry in serving God, the, the trials that come our way are not burdensome at all. They're not grievous at all when we do them because we love our Savior. What an amazing thought. That's not the message. That's just the first part of the verse we're starting to read. So you got that part for free. For the love of God of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Very important verse. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, Yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by, by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he, that, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then... As workers together with Him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. Father, we pray that you would bless the message and speak to our hearts. Lord, we are in a need in the day that we live for Your people to understand and know the truth that You are teaching in this passage. Lord, there needs to be great revival of holy living. There needs to be great revival of uh, Christians that because of their love for You 
and because of what you have done for them, that they will stand up and say, we're going to be ambassadors. We're going to be examples. We're going to be testimonies. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look forward to a new year and, Lord, perhaps some new ministries and some things that we'll be doing to try to help share the gospel with other folks. Lord, may we get this matter settled in our hearts. May it be something we revisit often. And, Lord, I pray that it would be something that we would recommit to and that we would hold to often in our lives. And so guide and direct us. May your Holy Spirit lead in, uh, in so many ways as we preach your word this morning. May he lead in the speaking of your word. And then, Lord, may he lead in the listening and the hearing of your word. And I pray that you would help our hearts to be sensitive. May we lay aside the distractions, the things that perhaps would cause us to miss the truth of this passage this morning. And may you open our eyes, may you open our ears and our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul starts off with expressing the fact that you and I ought to be loving God and such that we live a particular way. He begins by saying, let the love of Christ constrain Him. And he does this by way of example. He does this to help us understand this. And as he gets down in verses 14 and 15, he tells us why. He says this, this man, this Christ that came and died on the cross for our sins, he says in verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which should not hence, that, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And this this really is the driving force, if you will, of the Christian life once we get saved. Once we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we're not to just sit uh, back in our in our comfortable chairs and our chairs of ease and breathe in the good air and breathe out the bad air and just rejoice in our salvation. Now, I think rejoicing in our salvation is a wonderful thing, and there's a time for that, and we ought to rejoice in our salvation. I don't think there's anybody in the world ought to be more excited about anything than the fact that they're saved. And that ought to be something we rejoice in. I wish more Christians would rejoice more like what we ought to in the area of our salvation. But he goes on to tell us this, that he says the love of Christ constrains us. This one that died for us is the reason, he says in verse 15, that they which live should not henceforth live, notice this, unto what? Unto what? Themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Now, I want us to hold your place there for a moment. Turn with me to First John. First John, chapter number 4. Oh, now I got the wrong verse here. Verse, I'm sorry, First John chapter two. First John chapter number two and verse number fifteen. First John chapter number two and verse number fifteen. John writes this. He says, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, how much of it? All that is in the world." The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This would be living unto ourselves. Our lustful things, the things that the flesh nature wants. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. John tells us this, that we're not to love this world. Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter number 3. And look with me in verse number 1. Again, 
uh, finding Scripture that bears witness with other Scripture helps us to understand the truth, doesn't it? That we understand this is a, a principle that is taught not just in one place, but over and over again, so much so that we have to look at it and say, this matter, this issue, this principle must be important to God because He continues to drive it home. In, John, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 1, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Now that's those of you, us, you and I, that have trusted Christ as our Savior. We, we've trusted Him as our Savior, and the Bible says that we are dead to our sin, and we raised to walk in newness of life. There's something new in us. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which what? They're above. Seek those things which are above, which, uh, where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Notice this, not on things on the earth. The question is this, and those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, do we love the world too much? Do we love the world too much? This is a great time of year to consider this thought. Because the truth is, and I don't care how long you've been saved, I don't care how long you've been studying the Scriptures, I don't care how long you've taught or been a deacon in a church. I don't care how many times you've been to the altar over the years. The truth is, the old flesh nature continues to have a draw to the world. It continues to take our hearts and pull at it. And if we're not careful, there will be times, even in some of the most ardent Christians, that we will, without even realizing it, have a love for the things of this world. We'll begin to start gravitating to them once again. Can I tell you this? The Bible tells us that that God is light, and in Him is no darkness. What? Anybody remember the verse? At all. There is no darkness in Him. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is teaching the similitudes during the time that He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Ye are the light of the world. What light is He talking about here? What light? It's not our light, is it? It's His light reflecting in us. Ye are the light of the world. If there is no darkness in Him and we are reflecting His light, can I tell you this? There is an encouragement. There is a principle taught here. There is a command given. There is instruction from God that we must also strive to have light without darkness. That there be a holiness about us. That there be a testimony before the lost world. That we're a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hid. And so he tells us this in verse number 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And can I help you with something here that I struggled with for many, many years. And I grew up in a pastor's home. And I mean, I came to altars I don't know how many times growing up and repented of things and said, Lord, I, I, I need to get away from that. I need to get that out of my life. It is not enough for you and I to simply forsake sin. We must also then commit ourselves to Christ. We've got to say, Lord, not only do I want this sin out of my life, but I want to follow You more closely. I want there to be an urgent and an ardent desire, a passion in my heart to follow the things that you want me to follow according to your word. We're living in a day where God's people many times across our country are living lives that are no different than the world. Why? Because their flesh nature loves it. They enjoy it. They coddle it. You know, the greatest sins there are, I've said this so many times, are the sins other people have. 
You ever notice that? They're not mine. They're not yours, by the way. That's what we think anyway. You know why? Because the little sins that we have, we call them little. The ones that we say, oh, those are okay, I can keep those. They're the love that we have for the things of this world. That's why they're still there. That's why we still hold to them. That's why we look at other people and say, boy, they shouldn't be doing that. And then we find that we ourselves are doing it. Why? Because we have a love for the world. And you say, Brother Greg, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you this? That does not make you uh, to where you have a, a, a spiritual vaccine, okay? It's, it's about like the vaccine going around for the COVID. It doesn't work to keep you from sin. There's still that love for the, there's still that love for the world, isn't there? Notice he says this, verse number 16, Wherefore, because of all this, wherefore, henceforth, meaning from this point on, know we no man after the flesh. In other words, that we're not going to follow somebody that's of a fleshly nature. We're not going to have our hearts after him. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more after the flesh, because he's ascended to heaven now. Therefore, if any man be, notice this in verse number 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, how many things become new, according to Paul? All things become new. The day we got saved, something happened. Something came alive inside of us that wasn't alive before. All of a sudden, we begin to catch ourselves desiring to do right. There's something there that didn't used to be there. And yet, it doesn't mean that our old nature is completely gone, but there's something there now that draws us to God even more. And he makes this statement that when we, get, when we come to Christ, if we are in Christ, in verse number 17, that we're new creatures and old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. This ought to be the norm of the Christian life. And sad to say, in the day we live, oftentimes it's the exception. Do we love the world? Notice what he says in verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled, notice this, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Christ Jesus. One of the great miracles, one of the great miracles that Christ performed was that He reconciled a sinful man with the Holy God. Can I, can I encourage you in this? That is something that is absolutely impossible to do by man. So much so that Jesus said, that it is easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle, or the camel to go through the eye of a needle, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't talking about how difficult it was. He was talking about how impossible it was for a rich man trusting his own riches, or maybe let's say a talented man trusting his own talent, some charismatic man, some man of fame trusting his fame to make it to heaven. The disciples said, well, Lord, how, how then can we be saved? How can we get there? And he said, with men, it is what? Impossible. He didn't say it was hard. He didn't say it was difficult. He said it was impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Can I tell you the greatest miracle that took place was when Christ was able to take a sinful man and holy God and reconcile them together. Boy, what a day that was. 
Notice what it says here. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us... Now, why God does this, I don't know, but He does. Hath given to us the ministry of what? <laughs> you and I are supposed to be going out trying to help men be reconciled to God. He's given us that ministry. Why? Because there's something new in us that didn't used to be there. The old things, they're, they're passed away. And these, these new things... Boy, I get to go out and I get to tell others about it. I get to share it with others. Now notice what he says here. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God gives forgiveness. And He gives to us that same word. that We can go out and tell others that they can be forgiven. Now then, based on what Paul has said, and Paul is a master of laying the groundwork and then drawing the conclusion. Here we go. Are you ready? Here is the message. Now then, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador does? We have ambassadors here in the United States. We send them all over the world. And we let them live in foreign countries. And their sole purpose is to represent the President of the United States and the people of the United States. Their whole purpose in that country, in a foreign land, is to say there is some, some part of the United States of America in your country because we want you to know us. And I tell you this, you and I are in a foreign land. The Bible says, the song I wrote, this, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The Bible tells us that we're, that we're pilgrims in this land. We're aliens in this land, in this world. We're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Can I tell you this? We're in a strange land, and we have the great and wonderful privilege and honor to be an ambassador for Christ. To live in a foreign land and do nothing but represent Christ to them. By the way, let's back up a minute. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Why? Because we need to represent Christ. Old things are passed away. That's, that's the love of the world. That's my lust and the, the, the desires of the flesh. Why? Because I'm an ambassador for Christ. Now, we are, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What an amazing truth. Paul goes on to say this. I want you to notice along this idea of being ambassadors for Christ because I believe some of the great, great uh, points of, of this particular truth are found in chapter 6. We then, as workers together with Him, isn't that an amazing thought? Beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. What is he talking about? If I reject the position of ambassador for Christ, if I live in such a way that I do not give the word of reconciliation to a lost and dying world, I do not share it with them. If I don't open my mouth and let other people know about it, then I've gotten the grace of God, but I've gotten it in vain. Notice here, he says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, 
Now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Do we love the world? The Bible says any man that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are we gravitating towards the things of the flesh? Are there things in our lives that we need to look at at this start of a new year and say they have no part in a Christian's life? They don't, they don't, uh, they don't behoove the, 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 the testimony of a Christian who's supposed to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ? We get to verse number 3. He says, "...giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed." If the world had to look at God and come up with their opinion of Him based on what they see in your life and in my life, I wonder how they would view God. Now, I want you to notice there's a number of things He gives here over the next several verses between verse 4 and verse number 10. I want us to look at it very quickly and we'll be done. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, notice this, in much what? Patience. These are things that ought to be characteristic of those that are an ambassador for Christ. That we be ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. This is, a, this is an amazing thought that Paul says here. He says, listen, you need to learn to have godly spiritual patience. You need to be an example during times of, of tribulation and afflictions and necessities and distresses and stripes and tumults and labors. What's he saying? Keep on keeping on. Be a steadfast testimony. By pureness, verse number 6, by pureness. I'm to have patience in this area. I'm, I'm to be long-suffering in this area. I'm supposed to be pursuing after these things. And when I fail, I don't just throw my hands up and give up. I try again. And if I fail again, I get up and I try again. You say, Brother Greg, can I ever get to the point where I am living an absolutely pure life? Not till we get to heaven, but that doesn't mean we stop trying. We continue to live as much as we are able to possibly do a holy life. A life that helps us when men look at us to see our Father and say, there's an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's somebody that is a representative of Christ. They live like Christ would live. They, they act like Christ would act. They speak like Christ would speak. They, they, they see things. They hear things. They do things the way that Christ would do them. Years ago, there was a book written in the 1800s called In His Steps. A man by the name of Charles Sheldon wrote it. What an amazing uh, book. If you've never written it, I can highly recommend it. And the premise of it was there was a church that was going about its normal duties in the process of, uh, of uh, having church. And the preacher got up and he would prepare messages and he would preach the messages and the people would sing the songs and the specials and then they would leave the service and they would repetitively do this week after week until a, a man came into their church one day and kind of shook things up a little bit. He had been without work and was homeless and was sick and he had gone around that week and tried to find work and to knock on the doors of many people that had sat in the pews of that church the following week. 
said, I need some work, and he couldn't find any. Nobody would treat him with any kindness. They would always push him out. He came to church that next Sunday. He said, I've often wondered the way you've treated me this week. I wonder if that's what Jesus would have done. That church was smitten with conviction. They began to live and do an experiment. They had a group of people that said, we're going to... We're going to live our lives and going to commit ourselves for a period of time to do nothing without asking the question, what would Jesus do? It caught on and a number of years ago. A lot of liberal places began to do wristbands and, and necklaces, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I'll, I'll tell you this, it made me sick to my stomach because many of those people had no idea what that was to commit to such a thing. What would Jesus do? I think that the liberal crowd has has greatly overused that phrase and caused us to shy away from it. But the truth of the matter is, our Bible teaches us very clearly that He is our example. The love of Christ constraineth me. He reconciled me to Himself, and I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I better make sure that I am a testimony for Christ. I go out here and I share the gospel with somebody. I better have a life that is pleasing to Him. I better have a life that shows for it. And He says this in verse number 6, by pureness. And can I encourage us in this? That we recommit ourselves. That we say, Lord, I don't want to just be dead to the things of this world. I want to have a pursuit of holiness and pureness in my life this year. I want to live in a way that is above reproach. I don't even want to be so close to it that people might throw an accusation of it. I want to live above those things. I want to live in a way that is holy and pleasing. Why? Because I want to be pure. I want to be like Christ. Verse 6, he says, By pureness, by knowledge. Can I say this? We need to have a revival of knowing God. I'm not talking about just knowing His Word. I'm talking about knowing Him. Hold your place here for a moment. Look back just one chapter. Chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, if you will, look with me in verse number, uh, let's go to verse number 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might work through the thanksgiving, uh, uh, through, through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, there's that patience and tribulation and all of those things that we're talking about here. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, notice this, yet the inner man is renewed what? Day by day. Day by day. Can I tell you this? Our walk with God needs to have a revival. Our time that we spend with Him needs to have a revival. You say, Brother Greg, I spend an hour a day. I wonder what would happen if we spent two hours a day. Brother Greg, I spend five minutes a day. I wonder what would happen if we spent ten minutes a day with Him. I wonder what God could do by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. He said, Brother Greg, how am I to be an ambassador of Christ? Paul gives us this. He tells us these are things that ought to characterize us. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, 
as having nothing and yet possessing all things. You say, Paul, what are you talking about? You giving all these different different things. He starts in verse number nine, verse number eight by saying this by honor and dishonor. That though we honor Christ, the world may look at us and say that we are dishonorable. By evil report and good report, and there are men that may speak evil of us. May we have a good report with the Lord. As deceivers and yet true, those that will say that we're leading men astray, we're deceivers. And yet we're holding to the truth of the Word of God. As unknown and yet well known. And again, you can go through all of these. As dying, and behold, we live. As chastened and not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. Can I ask you this question? Do we love the world? Or are we ambassadors for Christ? I'm looking at a new year. I've spent some time the last couple of weeks praying about and thinking about some things this year and things that I would like to preach on, things I'd like to deal with in my life. One of these things that has been a great, great challenge to me is when men look at me, do they see Christ? Or am I living the way Greg wants to live? I'll be real frank with you. I far too often have to admit I've lived the way Greg wants to live. Far too often in my life I see where I have failed God, how I've been a dis- not, not, not a good testimony. I've allowed my temper to get the best of me sometimes. I've been impatient with people many times. I have certainly not shown the love of Christ the way that I should have. There have been so many areas as I've read down through chapter 6 that I've seen that ought to be characteristic of me. I look at these things and I think, Lord, help me. Because I've trusted You as my Savior. And I don't want to be one of these folks that still lives in the flesh. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's what I want to be. I want those old things to be passed away. I want the all things to be new. I think there come times in our lives where we need to say, Lord, I need You to renew a right spirit in me. I need You to renew that zeal, that determination to live for You, to have purity and holiness, to live an exemplary life, a life that is a testimony to other folks, a life that when men look at, they say, boy, what a great God they have. And I don't want to do this because I know I ought to. I want to do it because the love of Christ constrains me. I want to do it because He's reconciled me to an Almighty God. And I've been given that same ministry. I've been given the opportunity to take this book and bring an unholy, ungodly, sinful man to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let Jesus Christ do that wonderful miracle of reconciling that person with Christ. Oh, what a thought. Are we loving the world or are we ambassadors for Christ? Are we, are we pleasing to Him? Are we representative of Him? Are there areas of our lives that we have to look at and say, I could do better? 
There are some things that I still love about this world. There are still things that draw my heart, that draw my actions, my thoughts. Are there still some of those things that draw us? Or do we say, Lord, I want to be an ambassador for You? Let's stand together, if you would, with heads bowed and eyes closed. And we're just going to have a few moments where if God has spoken to your heart, you're welcome to come to the altar. We don't have a piano player today. But if God has spoken to you, the altars are open. We'll just have a few moments here and we'll bow our heads. And if you would, just have a moment or two of silent prayer. And if God has spoken to your heart, perhaps you'd come, maybe do business in your seat. But do we love the world or are we an ambassador for Christ? Do we have that desire, that drive to be pure and holy, to be pleasing to Him? God has spoken to your heart. Would you come?